The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. Well, good morning. My name is Darren Smith, senior pastor here at Tower View Baptist Church. It's good to have you with us this morning as we study God's Word. We are in our third part of our series, God, the Election, and Us, as we continue on looking at various passages that speak to what Christians and how Christians are to face the issues of the day, especially the political season we are in. If you're unfamiliar with our church, we are at TowerViewKC.com, TowerViewKC.com. We are in Kansas City, Missouri, just north of World of Fun, off 430, Interstate 435. And we'd love to have you anytime. If you're local, you can join us every Sunday at 1030 a.m. And we'd love to have you there as well. Well, thank you for joining us. Well, as we continue on this part, I just want to share with you uh, that we are back in the book of Mark for briefly. Uh, if you're a longtime Tower View listener, you know, or church member, you know, we spent a couple years, literally a couple years in the book of Mark. And so uh, we're going back there today, Mark 12, 13 through 17, with specific focus on verse 17. I just want to read that before we start, Mark 12, 13 through 17, and this will be out of the ESV version. Very familiar passage, but one I pray as we look at the God, the election, and us, part three, will be applicable to us as well. Let's read God's word this morning. It says, And they sent to him, to Jesus, some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. So is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? And Mark twelve fifteen. but knowing their hypocrisy, Jesus said to them, why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And so they brought one and said to Jesus, whose likeness, excuse me, and Jesus said to them, and whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, well, Caesar's. And Jesus, Mark twelve seventeen, said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. And that, of course, is a key phrase in the book of Mark, along with the word immediately. Let's pray together. May God bless the reading, hearing, and doing of his word. And may we be good stewards of everything we hear today. Let's pray together. Thank you for joining us this morning. Fathers, we come before you on this morning. We thank you so much that we have the opportunity to gather. I know for most of our folks, this will be in person on, on our, 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 our parking lot or inside or on the grass. But Father, for those at home especially, we pray, or those listening later on again, or those who hear about us or hear this for the first time, we pray that your spirit would move among them. We pray that people would come to know Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life, their salvation in no other name. We pray that people would grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, your Son. For Father, that is what we are here today, is to uplift your name, the risen Lord who death could not hold down, Satan could not defeat, the one who busted out of the grave. So Father, be glorified through this message. Give us wisdom in these days. And Father, may we be known as people of peace, love, and boldness and courage that stand on your word. We pray these things today in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the story is told that after decades of service in country in both war and peace, George Washington, who was the first president of the United States, when he ended his second presidency, second term as president, in his farewell address, he wrote these words. He said, quote, of all the habits 
which lead to political prosperity, religion and morality are indispensable supports. In vain would the man claim the tribute of patriotism who should labor to subvert these great pillars of human happiness. Religion and morality are the props of the duties of men and citizens, end quote. That's a lot of words. But what it is, and what our first president reminded us of, and we're not even sure he's really a Christian, he's a, he's a religious man, but that America was never a Christian nation in the sense that everyone was a Christian, a true believer in Jesus Christ. But there's no question, even from quoting the first president of our country, that we're, our nation is founded and guided by the, the Christian principles that our government is founded upon. And we see that changing before our eyes as the government begins to punish good and promote evil, even with those in office who may agree to such biblical things. It is more important than ever that we do what we can to influence the shape of our society. But what does that look like as a Christian? How do we do that as members of a church? How do we do that as people of God who are trying to be uh, living as exiles, but trying to be ambassadors for this God, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords? And while we have the right and duty to be involved in the government and the government process as citizens, the ultimate solution to these problems can really only be found in the spiritual realm. And if you were with us the last two weeks or if you've forgotten, that's exactly where we started. Our first two installments were in Daniel chapter 2 and Daniel chapter 5 as we saw that God uses, God raises, God controls, examines, confronts, blesses, gives discernment to, humbles, and judges the rulers or the leaders or the, the, the kings and, and presidents and senates of the land. And so the big idea today is simply this, is that as followers of Jesus, we don't align with any particular cultural or political perspective because above all, we align with King Jesus. And we can't continue in a posture of racial, cultural, or political hostility and feel any confidence that we are with this Jesus. It is so important that as Christians that we remember this. We are not home yet. We are exiles, but we are called to be in where they are. And for most of us in our society in America right now, that is dealing with the politics around us. So today I want to look at that. I want to look at three things. I want to look at three reminders from Mark 12, 17 about what we are to see that Christians and because, or we should be better, we are going to see that Christians are born, that we can live in any regime, in any country, in any land because of whom we serve. And finally, we're going to see that Christians are bound, that ultimately, both now and answer and are accountable to God. Here today, we see very clearly that what we have for us is reminds us in his word and he reminds us in his gospel that everything we do is about him and him alone and so as we come through this time as we look at the upper hands and be done right you just want to remind yourself that this world is not your home but what does that look like
Well, you see in verse 12, as before we get to our first point, just some context, you see in 12, 13, that the Pharisees and some Herodians tried to get together. These were the religious leaders of the day, and these were the political leaders of the day. They were coming together to make sure that Jesus was stopped. They were strange bedfellows, to be sure. Natural enemies joining together, the freedom fighters and the collaborators. The religious game wardens were out hunting that day, and they decided to bring in the political pundits to make it work. I mean, and they try to think of a question to stump Jesus. They try to get something to get Jesus to be off guard, to, to have him say something loosely that they can take to the people and find that Jesus is a fraud. So in Mark 12, 13 through 17, they ask him a question that's very familiar. Jesus, what should we do? Should we pay taxes to Caesar or should we not? And, 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 you know, you've been there too. You've been asked a question you'd rather not answer, or, or you've asked a question you didn't want to answer. But Jesus was put in a corner from their perspective. They thought, finally, aha, we got the guy. He's finally going to answer something that we can pin him down to that's going to bring him down and all his fervor behind him, and he will just go away like everybody else before him. But they were asking this question because there was a Roman poll tax that every male had to pay a denarius or, or one day's wage. And one denarius for one male. They had to pay that poll tax. And they made Jesus in this question, choose between the Romans or the people. And they tried to trap him in his words. It was a very good question. From a human standpoint, Mark 12, 15 is a very good question. So Jesus would either lose his popularity or he'd lose his life. And so as we examine this question, as we look at this third part from Mark 12, 17, I want you to see these things because should Christians be able to see a government the way Christ did? Should we be able to follow Jesus in any regime? And the answer, I believe, is yes. So let's look at point number one as we focus on Mark 12, 17, is that Christians should be the best. They should be the best. You notice in verse 12, 17, as Jesus answers this question, he says, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. It's very surprising because they were. this was unexpected at the time when he said this. Too many admire Jesus' clever answer here. They focus on how he got out of this rhetorical trap. But he put in a biblical theology here of government. Jesus is speaking here in verse 17 to answer their question, but it applied to a new phase of God's people as it was. It's going too far to say that Jesus is, is setting up here uh, the separation of church and state as we know it in America. Uh, and volumes have been written about it. But it was an unthinkable statement what he said in verse 17, Mark 12, 17. You see, because every, every, every ruling class was built around supernatural authority. When Jesus says what he says about Caesar, he's clearly saying that the Roman government doesn't have to be allied to God to be a true government. Jesus is stretching this out, saying that a pagan state is legit, to put it, to put it in modern terms. But no human government is legit because it controls the army or police or because of some social contract or because of an election or because of economics or the need to have order. But what does the Bible teach about government? As we look at this first point, the Christian should be the best. Christians should be the best. We need to understand this. And I'm going to give you plenty of verses here, and we're going to read them. And I just encourage you to write them down to look up later or listen intently or do both. But human government should, first of all, be what Genesis 1.28 says, that we should fill the earth and subdue it. 
You see, almost any government is better than anarchy. And when Jesus said in Mark 12, 17, render under Caesars what is Caesars, he knew that the Roman government was a hot mess. But it also provided order and justice and peace to obey God's commands. Our call as Christians, according to 1 Timothy 2, 2, is to, quote, live in all godliness and holiness, living peaceful and quiet lives. You see, as we looked at the last two weeks, churches, that God is sovereign over all, and the government are his servants. And so in Jeremiah 29, 7, we know the famous verse here that it says, And seek the peace of the city, where I have caused you to be carried away captive, captive and pray to the Lord for it, for in its peace you will have peace. Wherever Christians are called, Christians are called to be the best because as they seek the peace of the place God puts them, God will bless that city. And Romans 13, 4, and we'll read Romans 13, uh, a few verses there in a minute, but it says that the government brings punishment on the wrongdoer. The government is to bless the society as a whole. But in John 19, 19, Jesus answered Pilate and said, you would have no authority over me unless it was given to you from above. Did Jesus think or God think the Roman rule of Judea at the time was perfect? No. But Jesus, God was over it and he had his own purposes for his glory. So go to Romans 13. I want to read this with you because it's so important to understand as we go through this study. Romans 13, just a couple books over from Mark 12. Told you we're going to be flipping around a lot today. Because we're in this first point, Christians should be the best. The best what? The best citizens, the best, the best people of that society. And in Romans 13, 1, going down to verse 7, it says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority exempt from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Romans 13, 3, For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who's in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Romans 13, 5. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For the same reason, you also pay taxes for the authorities or ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, and honor to whom honor is owed. Look, the very basis of that Christian should be the best, the very call of Jesus in Mark 12, 17, matches exactly what Romans 13 says. Jesus was in a pickle trying to answer a question that he, the, the people, the Rhodians and the Pharisees thought they would stump him. But in essence, Jesus says, look, all of my followers will follow the laws of the land so long as those laws of the land are consistent with my word. And, and, and when they ask him about paying taxes, he has no trouble saying, render under Caesar's what is Caesar's, because my people, he says, will do this very thing. 1 Peter 2, 13 through 17 says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor or supreme, or to governors sit by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the, the talk of ignorance and foolish people. Therefore, verse 16, 1 Peter 2, 16, live as people who are free, but not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. 
Look, we believe as Christians that we can be involved in the government and in the processes that make the government to God's glory. Like family, businesses, schools, all the things that make up our society. But none need to be Christian to be good. Christians display love that the world does not know. And the Bible, again, according to Jesus in Mark 12, 17, render unto Caesar's, what is Caesar's? The Bible supports governments that aren't Christian. Look, and if you're a Christian and you work in some public service, and we have some of those in our church, whatever sphere you're in, we thank you for your service. You're called to reflect and uphold the morality God created you to have. And that's why even when the government supports sin, as has been done since the fall of Adam in all governments, we are at least to continue to support it even as we work to correct it and improve it. We should be very slow, according to Christ, to conclude that a government should be removed. Christian, we should be the best. Not the best in superiority. We are the most humble people. We should be humble people. But we should be the most faithful citizens, the most responsible citizens, the most engaged citizens, the most, the most giving citizens should be Christians. Why? Because this means that we are law-abiding, that we are tax-paying. We don't cheat on our taxes. We are honest. We may not always agree with them, but if they're levied, we pay them. And we should thank God for the good of the government. There's a lot we'd love to change. Starting with the, the killing of innocent babies, starting with the, you know, the redefining of marriage for society. But we should be involved in encouraging good work in our government. And as a church, we should support the government and continue to support it for praying for those in authority because God tells us to. You know, it's very interesting. In my young years, I remember people praying for, 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 for more liberal presidents more readily from the pulpit. But when someone who's more like the evangelical base gets in the government, at least in, in talk or principle, gets in, we seemingly don't pray as much. Maybe I'm wrong in that. I probably am. But this is how we fulfill this verse. We improve life in our area to preach and display his gospel in our lives. Christian, we should be the most honored citizens around. Not that we're seeking to win approval from men. Not that we're seeking to win a cultural war. Not that we're seeking any of those things. But as a Christian in this society, when people look at us, they should see Christians. Yes, first and foremost, of those people who are servants of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. But they should have nothing like Daniel. When they went to the king, the only thing they could pin on Daniel is that he prayed. And Daniel was praying for the wicked king that was about to throw him in the lion's den. So Christian, we should be the best citizens. It's not a competition, but in God's eyes, we're living out as we're called to live out. 1 Peter 3, 1 Timothy 2, Romans 13, it is going to drastically change how we witness. And that means in these times that we are to be the best citizens, that means we are to have the most peace among people. That when all the world is going cray-cray or crazy, to use a cultural term, we are stable and steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. So friend, the first call of Jesus in a broad stroke from, from Mark 12, 17, render to Caesar's what is Caesar's, is that Christians are to be the best. Again, not best in competition, but we are to be the best examples of what it means to abide with governments that even aren't Christian. Because we know as exiles in this world, this is not our home, but God has called us to live there. And though Jesus suffered the vengeance of enemies, he still said, render under Caesar's what is Caesar's. And friends, you know, as Americans, given our history, we often struggle to see authority as good. 
But what Romans 13 tells us in step with Jesus is that we are compelled to obey. And so we are those who are called to be the best citizens, or we should be. That is point number one. Point number two is that Christians are not only called to be the best. Point number two, Christians are borderless. Christians are borderless. We can live under any earthly regime. I go back to Mark 12, 17. Jesus says, render unto Caesars the things that are Caesars. And Jesus' approval by paying taxes to Rome was certainly crazy at the time. I mean, legitimacy is not determined, or even if it's allowed, it wasn't a problem for him. Jesus is doing something radical. Jesus is fulfilling the prophecies since the beginning of time by that statement in Mark 12, 17. He said, render unto Caesars the things that are Caesars. Basically, Jesus is unhitching his followers from any particular nation. Because, look, if Christians can support Rome, what government can we not support? This is the government, the Roman government, 2,000 years ago that killed the Son of God, the risen Lord, Jesus Christ, and also killed most of the original apostles, save John, who died a natural death. Jesus, in essence, in Mark 12, 17, is saying, pay the tax for those who are about to drive nails in my hands and kill me on a Roman cross. Not because of what they're doing is right, but because government reflects the character of myself. And God will deal with a government such as the Roman government. But friends, we are freed and Christians are borderless. And what do I mean by that? It's not a political statement. It's a spiritual one. Because we are freed to support whatever government we find ourselves in. Instead of just one nation like Israel was, or whatever land we find ourselves in, we are free and we are borderless. God is not, to use a big term, God is not a theonomist. He doesn't take the Old Testament laws and legislate them all over the earth. He says, render to Caesar what is Caesar's. John 18, 26, Jesus said this, My kingdom is not of this world. Jesus is bringing in a kingdom into this world, his own. But until then, Christians would be under, like Joseph in Egypt and Daniel in Persia and Babylon, all types of government. And look, Christians are like, you know what? Christians are like bugs that you just can't get rid of. We had a bug invasion in our house a couple weeks ago, or last week, I guess it was. Not an invasion, we had those goofy stink bugs all over. We have a couple skylights in our house. It's been warm here in Kansas City. I don't know how they got in. Have no idea how. We could not. You couldn't suck those things up fast enough with the th- with the with the vacuum. Like Christians are kind of like that. No matter where we are, we survive anywhere. We are like bugs you can't ever seem to get rid of because by God's grace, this is not our home. He's carrying us to our home and Christians are borderless, meaning you throw us under any regime and we will survive there, not because of the regime, but because of God's grace. And Christian, we need to remember that. We are not dependent on government or just government or Christian government for the gospel to go forward. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation, is it not? And because of that, we go forward based on God's power, His Spirit. And it is not by my strength or my might, saith the Lord, but it's by my Spirit, Zechariah 4, 7. And so this means that God's people, are we're not building a nation. We're not building a single earthly nation that will have legitimacy before God. We are borderless. We're not like a Jewish state or a pagan state. We are borderless Christian. And this was very, very new. When Jesus said, render unto Caesars the things that are Caesars, he was saying something radical even for that day. You see, because you know the Old Testament history, God formed a national covenant from Exodus to about a 1,000 or 1,500 years to Jesus' time. God had always given them instructions for themselves. 
but they were also to be, Israel was, Old Testament Israel was, a light to the nations. God particularly blessed the nation of Israel. He called them out among the nations for a time. But now, when the Son of God comes, Mark, 13, Mark 12, excuse me, 12 and onward, when Jesus fulfills things, things have come. Friend, this is very important. The, eth- the ethnic phase of God's work is done. God doesn't save people because of the color of their skin or the lack thereof. God saves people who confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that God raised him from the dead. But as a Hebrew listening to this for the first time and, and hearing Jesus say, render unto Caesar's the things that are Caesar's, you're thinking, no, this can't be right. God's nation is Israel. But Jesus is saying something greater. He's saying we as Christians are borderless. We are spread all over the world. And we always have been and we always will be. From its earliest beginnings, from the calling of the nation, Genesis 12.3, God told Abram this. He said, quote, all peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. And every time a Gentile joined the ranks of God's people, this came true. Think of Rahab at Jericho. You think of Ruth coming out of Moab. You think of Joseph in Egypt and Daniel in Persia. They were all serving God while not in Israel. You know, and Muslims struggle with this because, Muslim, because Islam means submission. And being a Muslim outside a Muslim country is very difficult because the laws, according to the Quran and Hadith and all the writings of the Muslims, they have to be under a Muslim nation to really succeed. But not as Christians. We get that we are exiled in this world no matter who is president or who is king or who is ruler. We will always be exiles. Matthew 28, Jesus said this. He said, all authority has been given to me. Go to the nations. At Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2 and 3, God's Spirit is poured out on people of various nations. In Acts chapter 10, when Cornelius and Peter came, Peter said, I know now that God doesn't favor one people over the other, that God's grace and love is for all. And and Paul in in, in Rome in Acts 28, Paul went to the very epicenter of the world in Rome and spoke of the gospel to the Gentile leaders. And even in Revelation 5, 9, it says, They praise the Lamb, and people purchased from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation worship the Lamb. Look, Christian, what does this mean? We are borderless. This means whatever government comes our way, whatever leaders come our way, whatever people God sovereignly, as we looked at the first two weeks, puts in our lap and puts in our plate for our families and our churches, we will be okay. And that's why we pray for Christians around the world. That's why we need to be very, very careful. We need to be very, very careful that we do not become so patriotic for this country. And hear me clearly, I love our country. I'm grateful for everyone who served, has served, has given their life. But we need to be careful that we do not allow our love for country to overtake our love for the home that we one day soon will have in glory with Christ. God is more concerned about all the nations than our nation here. So friends, we are borderless. And this shows that God that, that, that we are borderless means that we are to go to every nation. We are to share with every nation. We are to speak the gospel to every nation. I said this many times from the pulpit, and it bears repeating in these times. Christian, and I'm looking straight to the camera here for this reason. If you have a Christian brother or sister, someone who is of faith, who's of a different country, ethnicity, or race than you, and they're not from this country, you have more in common with that person from another country who's a Christian 
than you do with your neighbor across the street who isn't a Christian but is an American. Why? You know, it sounds kind of hokey. We say brother, brother Bob, and sister Jean, or whatever the name is, and it sounds kind of funny. It sounds kind of rural and hokey, and I'm from rural, and I'm very hokey myself, but that has a point. When you call someone brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so, what you are saying is this, is that it doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter your preferences. We are one in the risen Jesus Christ. And so we pray for other Christians and give our lives to other nations and sacrifice our comforts. And this is why as a church every year we try to strive to give more and more money to missionaries that we've sent out or that we support as Southern Baptists with the cooperative program because we want to be people wherever they're at to hear the name of Jesus. We don't go as missionaries to spread American philosophy. We go as Christians to spread the good news that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son and that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal and everlasting life. Look, we should love, we should honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor, 1 Peter 2.17. But while we do that, we share more in common with Christians from different nations than we do with our unbelieving countrymen. We especially seek to serve our brothers and sisters who are children of God by both creation and also redemption. Christian, what does this mean for you? We said first off, first point, from Mark 12, 17, Jesus said Christians should be the best citizens. We should be the most honest, the most giving, the most loving, the most obedient, except when that crosses the line biblically. Second, we saw that Christians are borderless. No matter what shakes out in our nation or whatever nation you're watching this under, Christians are called to be faithful first and foremost to their God. But finally... Christians are called, our Christians are bound. We are bound. We are bet, we should be best. We are borderless. And finally, number three, we are bound. And I invite you back to Mark 12, 17 as well. So we look at the last part of 12, 17. But Christians are bound. We've answered first to God, both now and forevermore. And that's the point, is that we will answer first to God, both now and forevermore. Look back at Mark 12, 17. Jesus said to them, render the Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And to God the things that are God. Mark 12, 17. It's very convicting. Even by saying this, this is contradicting the very money he was talking about. I mean, Jesus held up uh, an inscription of Caesar, uh, a coin with the, 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 the depiction of Caesar. But he's not saying Caesar is God. They would obey Caesar, but they're not worshiping the state. And so because we are bound to God, our duty, Christian, to earthly authority is limited. Our duty, because we're bound to God, to earthly authority is limited. Look, no kingdom will reflect the authority of God. The authorities are going to clash. There's going to be things that they don't always get right. Adam had authority in the garden, but he blew it. He messed it up. And in Exodus 5.2, Pharaoh said, Who's the Lord that I should obey him? I don't know the Lord, and therefore I will not let Israel go, and quote. Look, Pharaoh was the legitimate leader of Egypt and the ruler. But it was being abused was his authority as he opposed God himself. And this is why the psalmist in Psalm 119, 134 said, Redeem me, O Lord, from the oppression of men, that I may obey your rules. Look, not all authority is used for good. Not all authority is used for good. But authority, as given by the scriptures, as given by God, originating from him, is good by nature. You remember Acts 4 when the Sanhedrin ordered Peter and John to stop talking in the name of Jesus? You remember that story? Acts 4.19, they said, judge for yourselves whether it's okay to obey God, or okay to obey you rather than God. 
and they brought them back again. They flogged him again because Peter and John just couldn't stop talking about this risen Jesus. And in Acts 5.29, they said, we must obey God rather than men. So how do we, you know, Pastor, I know we're bound to God and I know our duty to earthly authority is limited, but how do we know? When our will conflicts with God and His way, when government does something wrong, how do we know where that line is? Well, God, first off, God is never wrong. Let's state that clearly. He's the perfect, He's the sinless, He is the holy, holy, holy God. He's never done anything wrong, and neither did His Son. No deceit, First Peter says, was found in His mouth. But human leaders do err. Human leaders do mess up. And that means we have to leave some space for civil disobedience. Because we are bound and answer and are accountable to God first and foremost, when human beings go across the threshold of God's word where we are called to stand, there is room for civil disobedience. And so when leaders command something that's morally wrong, I'm telling you as a pastor, you should not obey the government. If, it's, if it says to do something, God said not to do. Daniel's the perfect example. When they played the music, Daniel was to bow down before the statue and worship him, and he refused to do it because God said only he was worthy of worship. That we would obey following a lower authority and not the higher authority God is a contradiction in terms. There's a role for government, and we are thankful for that. Romans 13, we read earlier, said that. But friends, they're not ultimate. They're not supreme. If Romans 13 tells us the good of the state, Revelation 13 tells us the bad of the state. We're Babylon of the, uh, of the end times. It's just such a mess that God himself had to come back to write it. Jesus already told the disciples in Mark 8 to take up their cross. And to follow Jesus means at times when you obey God rather than men, that you may harm yourself in this fallen world. Jesus said, he said, if they persecuted me, they will also do so to you. Look, all people are guilty before God. All people stand before God, and we give account to the one true living God. We don't do that to a government. And we can't refer then to any nation as a Christian nation. We have to be careful of this. Because friends, every regime under heaven is at some point going to go wayward with their authority. The problem is, is just because the principles of our nation and founders were some were Christians, and even if the Supreme Court has long recognized that, that, that Christian founding in their decisions, doesn't mean the worldview or, or most people or, or that one must be a Christian to be a citizen. There's a great classic book from 1500 years ago called The City of God by Augustine, one of the great early theologians, he said, we are the city of man, and we are the city of God. In other words, there's not a sacred, and there's not a secular. You don't just come to church on Sunday, and that's your sacred part of your life. That's the sacred uh, chapter of your life, and then you go and live how you want in the secular part of your life. We are bound to God. We were bought with a price. Therefore, 1 Corinthians said, we are to glorify God with our bodies. And so, friends, the legal... Uh, establishment of Christianity, no matter what situation we are under, we are called to and be bound to God and God alone first. It was that legal establishment of Christianity some years after Christ died that the apostles uh, would have been sick to see because a distorted view of the gospel came in as, as, as the early Romans called themselves a Christian nation at the expense of everything the Savior and the apostles taught. Well, Pastor, what about that, that verse? You know, we pray around uh, National Day of Prayer Day, you know, in May each year. 
2 Chronicles 7.14, My people who are called by name will humble themselves and pray. Look, that is part of God's inspired word. But Christians, we are not identified with the land of Israel as it was in 2 Chronicles 7.14. It's well intended, and there are principles. We should pray to God. We should humble ourselves. We should seek His face. But it can confuse it. Again, there are no promises like 2 Corinthians 7.14 for any particular nation today. That was a specific promise for Israel then. So even if we have presidents who are Christians, even if we have leaders who are Christians, the authority of our government will never be used perfectly. So we pray for leaders. We try to stand on guard against worldly power, and we use God's blessings for His glory. We can't help but speak some things like this. Look, there are names in Washington right now that will open doors and get you things, but they will soon be forgotten. And many of you find the lasting importance of politics, and I'm grateful, as we all should be, for the concern for our country. We're not saying politics are unimportant, but we must understand sometimes as we get involved in such things that God is the King of kings, and He is the Lord of lords, and He's the sovereign one. So the questions of how and when we might disobey the state should be slowly considered, but they're not necessarily wrong. Because Christian, you're accountable to God first. You know someday that you're going to stand before God and give account for every word you've said. If you're a Christian, praise God, you're eternally secure in Christ. And however it's going to work on that day, God will reward our faithfulness and and take away uh, the crowns, if you will, from unfaithfulness. But at the end of the day, we are saved, redeemed, and justified in Jesus Christ. We allow for differences in this nation, even in our churches, on matters of politics. We don't identify the gospel with a nation or political party, but we look forward to the day when God rules us as one body of Christ, where Greek and Jew and Gentile and barbarian and Scythian, male and female, young and old, disabled, not disabled, strong, weak, everything that this world has together forgiven in Christ. That is what we are looking forward to. That's what we're most bound to. But Christian, our duty to God is also comprehensive. It it overtakes every part of our lives. Again, we praise God that earthly governments don't have the last say. And I don't mean that in a negative way. Things that are legal in this nation is not always moral. Things that are illegal is not the same as being immoral. Again, Matthew 28, Jesus has all authority. And he wasn't against Rome necessarily, but he was against the sin and death of Rome. And God has ownership over all of us. We bear his image. We've been created in his image. And so when in Mark 12, 17, when Jesus said, give to God the things that are God, you are to first, Christian, give yourself to God. Before you worry about who's going to lead our nation in whatever sector, state, regional, federal, you need to remember that your whole duty on this earth is to glorify God and enjoy him forever, as the catechism says. We are part of his creation, and we will be judged by him, and we have been bought with a price. All authority belongs to Jesus, the one who calmed the wind, who calmed the wave, who healed, and the demons, and they all obeyed him. And we should do the same. We are to pay our taxes, but even more, can I tell you this? We are to trust in the living God as revealed in the God-man, Jesus Christ, who can exonerate you and reconcile you to God. And we should look to instruct God into every area of our lives. 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. You are bound first to Jesus Christ, to the Father and the Spirit, the one God, the three in one Trinity. And friends, I just want to say this. Though Jesus sowed the seeds of demise for Israel's nationalism and Romans' paganism, 
he focused his efforts on a more important revolution. Jesus came to conquer sin and death on the cross and in the resurrection. And we should return our coins to Caesar, but we must give ourselves to God. We're bound to him. Jesus came to collect what was due. He came for his elect. He came for those who he called before the foundation of the world to be saved. And the Pharisees and the Herodians of Mark 12 questioned Jesus would not pay the price of belief. And God will judge them someday for rejecting the Messiah, so as he will to all who do. And likewise, today he will judge Muslims who worship a false god that compels only external conformity rather than the one true God revealed in Christ who changes our very nature. Friend, let's give to God what is God's. Everything is God's. There's not one square inch that is not his. And let us pay for our taxes, so to speak. But even more, let us trust in Christ. Christian, you are to be the best citizen. You are to remember that you're borderless. You can live under any regime. And number three, you are to remember. You are to remember that you are bound to God. You are limited by how much you give to earthly authority. But your duty to God is all-encompassing. It's comprehensive. It filters into every area of your life. But if you're watching today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, I just want to say this. You can get all frenzied up over politics. But friend, at the end of the day, the only thing that matters is this. Do you know that you're a sinner? Do you know that you have been separated from God and that the wages of sin is death? But praise God, the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. The one who has all authority over everything, who's sovereign over all, as we saw the first couple weeks, has told us that he's coming back again. And that's not just a, a wishful thinking on Jesus' part. He means it. He proved it by raising from the dead. And friend, the question is on Judgment Day, when he says to you, who do you say that I am? The only answer you can give him is an answer you must answer with right now. You must repent of your sin. You must believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and, and that he is Lord and you will be saved. I don't have a formula prayer for you. You can't be good enough. can't try hard enough. can't support enough church functions. There's nothing good in you. You can't be sincere enough. The only way to heaven is through the risen Savior, the God-man, Jesus Christ, the perfect one who on that cross took our punishment, the wrath of God, was buried and rose again. If you have questions about that, message us. We'd be happy to connect with you or go to our website, towerviewkc.com. But Christian today, just remember, you should be the best citizen wherever you are. You are borderless, so you can serve God anywhere. And you are also bound to God. Under limited earthly authority, as far as the word is concerned, but to live for God in every area of your life, especially in how you relate to those in authority. Let's pray today. Father, thank you so much for our time together. Father, we thank you for your word, which instructs us on these matters. Father, we went from the 50 or 40,000 foot view a couple weeks in to now getting more practical, Father, if you will, more seeing it as it is. But Father, we pray for wisdom in all these things. We love you, Lord. We pray today that you are lifted high. We ask this today in Jesus' name and God's people said, amen. Thank you for joining us. Guys, have a blessed day. Again, our website is towerofukc.com. We don't say that in a self-promoting way, but if there's anything we can do to assist you, to pray for you, or point you back to Christ, please connect with us there or here uh, on social media as well. Guys, we love you. Have a great day. God bless. Bye-bye.